Incoming transmission from Podfleet Command on screen. Welcome to the ninth episode of Trek Geeks Picard Live. My name is Barry DeFord, and I will be your inner light of remembrance while we look back on what was episode nine of Picard, titled Et in Arcadia Ego. If the internet drops, which I don't think it will this time, I promise. We had a rough one last week, but I've got it figured out. So you stay stay tuned, folks. We'll make sure it's good for you. Uh, and thanks to my lovely and talented multi-monitored EBH, Dan Garcia uh, from Trek Geeks Game Night. We always appreciate his work behind the scenes on that. This broadcast is streaming live on YouTube and Facebook and is now available on trekgeeks.com. Picard Live is proud to have Fansets as our presenting sponsor, and we'll have some more information, some new and interesting information that I think you'll be interested in. I think I've said that word enough, including our special discount code, code just for viewers of the broadcast. I wish I could express to you all just exactly what uh, my partner and I were able to do. We pulled a rabbit out of our hat. She was uh, just coming back from uh, a self uh, a self isolation cross country ski up where we live, and uh, turned the faucet on the on the shower, and lo and behold. That was the time that the cartridge, there's apparently a cartridge inside that decided to break. And through some shifty and fast footwork, we managed to get it fixed. And I really felt like O'Brien or Scotty or LaForge uh, or Torres or or any of the others or, or Stamets getting stuff figured out. And uh, I tell you, it, uh, it was down to the wire, but we managed to get it figured out. So I think we'll start with a little warning for y'all. If you have not seen the latest episode of Star Trek, there is going to be what I like to call a spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. So that klaxon bell, which actually I kind of like the alarm to the uh, La Serena a little bit better, but that's okay. Uh, the Discoveries is nice as well. If you have not seen Etin Arcadia Ego Part 1, please stop now and enjoy the, in, enjoy the episode so you don't have the episode ruined uh, by yours truly. I think now is a good time that we get started off in the Picard Maneuver. And of course, with the Picard Maneuver, we are well, we're reorienting ourselves to a man who we haven't met in over 20 years. And I guess in this respect, we want to make sure that we understand uh, exactly who we're getting. And we've been getting a lot of information. So as we get oriented, I'm going to go as linearly as possible through this very heavy episode. So first of all, we have the crew of the La Serena traveling through the conduit, which is beautiful. It was a beautiful, haunting look to that. Uh, real data vibe as Soji is working from tactical. Jurati is confused as to why she gets to have justice on herself, delayed. And Capelius and this beautiful swell of interstellar-like music. I really enjoyed it. But whoa, wait, we have an alarm. Extremely foul language from Rios. Uh, boy, howdy, that was vulgar. Um, strap in. Of course, it was in Spanish, though, so that works. So I got a little miffed at that, but then moments later, they strap in to their seats, which is something that really they should have done a long, long time ago. I mean, it took us a while to get to seatbelts in our cars, but... Uh, Boy, it really took a long time to get seatbelts on ships. I know they tried a few times in deleted scenes. I think um, Insurrection or Nemesis they did. So we see a great dogfight. Loads of fun. Uh, Narek is quite tricky and Soji really dislikes him. I think she has a good reason. And I think she will have to make a choice on him in the future. I like the moment of that is unexpected and a very cool arrival of the Borg cube just blasting through. Again, poor Seven does something cool and then it gets immediately uh, thwarted. Um, I like the flower power that crashes all of the ships, and you can definitely tell this episode was directed by Akiva Goldsman because it explains the cool Optimus Prime-like sounds that keep happening everywhere. 
Picard has a episode of his illness, his mental illness, uh, the, the disease that is slowly killing him, that is terminal. And we get a flashback of all the choices that he's made so far. And we also find out that Gerardi, with her use of the very cool old tricorder that makes all the neat beeps and boops, she manages to figure out that, yeah, there is something very wrong. So Picard announces this to the crew. The visual here is really important. I'm not going to go too much into it, but typically on the D um, behind me, Picard did these sorts of announcements at a nice table that was orderly. It's not so much here. Crew's in a shambles. There's lots of issues and reflects the setting during the announcement that Picard makes. And then he ascends the stairs while they're all watching. I don't know if we could get a better death motif with that, but we will in ooh, a few scenes. So they're on Capalius, beautiful planet. It's a little bit hot. I like that as well. I could do with a, a warm planet. Gerardi uh, asks immediately, do these synth, pe do these synth people hate us? Um, well, it's not necessarily, but um, we're going to get a better idea of that pretty soon. They arm up and they take a walk in the heat. Now it's broken. And all I have to say is now that is a shot. I love the image of sort of that kind of Californian uh, or sort of maybe Mediterranean uh, landscape with this giant Borg cube just sitting there smoldering. Uh, what a beautiful shot that was matched only by the, the music. So they enter into the artifact, and uh, I do like the idea that uh, to get back into the artifact, both Picard and Soji agree that, well, they both survived this. And this, of course, is something very different for the two of them. There are surviving XBs. One calls Picard Locutus, and look, there's Elnor. He's back again. And we see seven of the nine, seven of nine uh, with the XBs. And I feel like just the way the set is put and the way the levels of all the people, I feel it could have been a really good musical, like them just immediately... I don't know, breaking into song, but uh, maybe they did that before the shot. Um, bit of a Voyager theme as she shows up again. Love that. Picard and Seven catch up. There's easily an uneasy friendship between them. They're aware of their former Borg tech and their former selves and maybe coming to terms with that uneasy past. Hugh gets a good statement uh, um, from that, but then sort of gets, you know, they have to keep going with the plot. And I can't say I was terribly happy how they handled Hugh, but we can get into that conversation in the comments. So as they're on the artifact, long-range scanners find 280 uh, warbirds coming. Soji sees her past in a shambles. And I feel like all we do these days is say goodbye. There's a major statement there uh, from Picard. And Elner makes a very astute point built on uh, built on by Picard. He says, you're dying. Uh, anytime could be our last, though, as uh, Picard says. And I think that's something kind of on the nose uh, with, you know, obviously not intentional by the writers. We keep saving the galaxy, as uh, as both uh, Picard and Seven of Nine agree. Synth Town feels like TNG, hundred percent. Love the goofy outfits. Uh, there's that unsettling you, that unsettling feeling you get when you see these people, the synth walking around. Is the fact that the actors do a fine job of feeling and looking uncanny. Uh, there's something very uncanny to the way um, you know other the, the, the different characters we meet here start showing up. Um, the synths speak in a similar way to Elnor, too. They seem to use sort of an absolute candor. We get uh, Dr. Soon Jr. Uh, the orchid inventory will not be sufficient um, by any notable... Uh, uh, sorry. The orchid inventory will not be sufficient to be of any notable assistance when the 218-ship Romulan strike force arrives. That is my impression of Data if he was in that space rather than Dr. Alton Inigo Soon, who definitely treats... Um, his older brother jealously it must be disturbing i know it is for me as he says to picard I, there's just resentment dripping from his face uh when he says that um 
or when data, uh, if he'd gotten old and gone soft. That's a neat statement, and we're going to have to approach that later. A human being being jealous of its android or older brother. Yeah, that'll be a difficult individual to compare oneself to. We also hear about Bruce and the ban, and we meet Sutra. Sutra, again, another name for an orchid, I believe. Um, the family groves. Sutra is her own, though. Um, real lower vibe I'm getting from her, the way she she kind of pinches her eyebrows together quite a bit. Um, the admonition is designed for sense as a promise, and to biological beings, I guess it's a warning. And it is another mind meld for poor Dr. Gerardi. This time, no puke. That's good. The admonition is designed for sense as a promise, and I think Gerardi finally through this manages to come to terms with the fact that she killed bruce because she says it straight up raffi definitely gives me a bones feeling when she's like ah, i feel like that was because you were out of your goddamn mind and i think gerardi may have been crazy in that moment but what other could she have been what other personality could she have had kind of reminds me a little bit of orson scott card he wrote ender's game uh, and he actually had written in an alien being in one of his books somewhere along the way and i can't remember that these aliens would uh, communicate by exchanging dna i mean that would kill us if people did that sutra is into the vulcan mind meld she gets that going and uh, it sort of gives a nice shorter degree of separation between Jana, uh, the jad vash dr o and sutra mind meld is a lot easier to understand as well and we're going to go on that uh, Alton Soong says what we all wanted to say. Shame on you, Agnes. Shame on you for wearing pleated shorts as well. There's a mind transfer conversation as well in terms of maybe Katras or something like that. We get Spot 2 as our little bit of fan service. It's always nice to see that. And Rios definitely likes Gerardi. And I think she likes him. And maybe he is forgiving Gerardi for his former captain's sake, sort of an oblique way of getting over his issue. We get some really heartfelt moments between Rafi and JL. Rafi gets a tool that fixes things, and you just have to use your imagination. I'm wondering if that's going to be a placebo, and that's just what imaginations do, is help you fix things. Picard's little question went on the ship. Um, uh, will be up and running, reminiscent of Picard keeping Rafi guessing. So she says, you know, maybe I just won't tell you. Um, kind of like he didn't tell her after they got kicked out of Starfleet. It's a jab that turns into a hug. And her saying that she loves him is her forgiveness towards him. It didn't do much for her in the series so far. Um, and that might be a tad disorienting, but we have to think that they had a whole career together. And this is what she's referring to. He says he loves her back and he walks away. So he walks away from Elnor into the light out of the Borg cube. He walks away from his crew going up the stairs. And now he walks away from Rafi. Gotten some serious death vibes here. And we're going to talk about that when we get our guest on. Um, Narek is in prison. The, tries to seduce another synth. She's not buying it. How do Romulans teach their prison prisoners is quite entertaining. We get a I love you, I know. But uh, boy, does it mean something different. Uh, and then we get talking to... Um, Picard and Soji after Narek gives a comeback that's very reminiscent of Ross Geller from Friends. Oh, yeah, well, I'm going to blow your planet up. And he kind of storms off. That's sort of how it feels. Picard and Soji, uh, she gets a good cross-section of the men she can and cannot trust. Um, taking life to save life, hurting others to save others. Um, understanding the logic of sacrifice. There's a lot of analog analogical things here that uh, unfortunately feel a little more closer to home as well. We get Sutra and Narek. Um, Saga, Saga is told to leave, and then she gets killed. Something's up. I think there was a connection in Sutra's mind is made up. Uh, did she think she was doing something right, or did she feel there was no choice? Jurati and Sutra are mirrors of each other in this respect. 
Sutra's solution as well is not terribly viable to uh, uh, to Soji, uh, and running is not very viable to Sutra. So they have a bit of an issue with each other. Narek gets away. We have a dead, unfortunately dead um, saga, and the sort of absolutism that starts coming up in Sutra's conversation, eliminating and and all, and Picard's unfortunate sort of being caught in the middle of all of that. And while this is happening, Gerardi resolves herself to end her life to save the synths by helping uh, Dr. Soon move his mind into a golem, which uh, is actually a Greek uh, god sort of thing. Basically, it's if you put someone's mind into a movable statue. So... After that, we finally get Here Come the Ships. So that was a 15-minute intro, but boy, there was a lot of stuff that happened. And uh, I just want to have a quick look at the comments, see who's all around. It's nice to see everybody. Holy cow. We've got Chris. We've got Jackie. Nice to see y'all. Who's the Trek geeks? I don't know who that is. Uh, Chris Tribuzio. Hey, buddy. How's it going? Nice to see you. Boy, howdy. Christina, nice to see you. Chris Hackney. Um, Marina, hey. And Brian Yates, and you guys are all saying stuff, but instead I'm just going down. So Brian Yates has a first one here. Who needs seatbelts when you have internal inertial dampers? Never mind, they go offline. Yeah, people get would get splattered a lot more, I think. Um, mind you, if you fall fast enough, a seatbelt isn't going to help you either. Um, we've got the board cube coming in. Kirk Schwinn says that uh, that uh, coming out of the conduit was epic. Jackie responds with, yep, we cheered. Marina uh, says, I keep wondering about that flower. The moment I saw it, my brain immediately suggested the space flower from Discovery credits. Coincidence? We're going to talk about that because there's there just has to be a connection now. It just has to be a thing. Um, so many more wonderful comments from folks, but you know what? Oh, hey, Arend, how's it going? Um, so with that, I think it's a better idea to get a person who I hold in very high regard in the world of Star Trek uh, podcasting. We have worked together in the past, and I look forward to working together in the future. So before we open up our new segment, I want to uh, invite onto the show Miss Amy Nelson. Hi, Amy Nelson. How you doing? Hello. Thank you for having me on. This is awesome. Yeah. And sorry about the auctioneer style uh, opening that I had to do. Just there's so much in this episode. It's kind of like a big, a big cake. It is. So you've, have you talked about the episode yet at all with any other groups? And that's okay. Yeah, I have. <laughs> well, and that's where, and that's where, you know, if I'm not bringing something up that maybe didn't get brought up when you were talking, then by all means, bring those conversations in as well. And maybe we can extend them. Uh, I do have to say that I am okay at all of this. The people who comment are amazing and come up with insights all the time. So they're the people who, uh, who we want to uh, be, be hearing from. So we've got Aren saying, ahoy. Oh, Ahoy is happening a lot now. Uh, Marina says, Amy, nice to see you. Hi. Oh, love the shirt. No one has commented on my unit. No, no, people have commented on me. That is a really nice shirt, by the way. So initial impressions, you know, show is, uh, are you enjoying this series? Uh, is this series, uh, you know, something that you would uh, hope for more episodes of and maybe more seasons? Oh, absolutely. I am really enjoying Star Trek Picard. I think it's doing fan service right because I'm getting all the feels with my TNG vibes. And I really am appreciating Picard's character and seeing how he's changed from TNG to now. And the characters that he's interacting with and the crew that he's developed is really amazing. And the actors, I'm, j- I'm just in love with them. They're yeah. all doing such an amazing job. 
this episode specifically, um, and I'm suddenly blanking on her name, uh, who plays Soji and Dodge and He's uh, Yes, she really must have worked with Brent Spiner on this one to get those those eyebrows working. Yeah. Um, very, very much just uh yeah, she was almost like Python-like when she was sort of talking to people as Sutra. So you're right, the acting in this is pretty top shelf. So yeah. So I have a question for you. Now, we've kind of got the lines drawn here between organics and synths. I'm going to just say this out right right now that there's probably going to be some kind of amalgamation or synthesis that's going to be the solution. But if you had to pick a side, are you picking team synth? Are you picking team organic? Okay, well, I think I'm going to have to go with well, yes, it will be a meld, but I'm going to go team synth in part because Right now, the organics only represent the Romulans. Uh, Starfleet has really just washed their hands of the whole situation, so can't really depend on them. And with our past history of the Romulans, I don't think talking to them is going to do any good, where I feel like with the influx of Data's humanity and what has been built with these androids or since that there's a higher probability of success with the synths and trying to get to some treaty or some resolution without destroying all of humanity. <laughs> Spoken like a true mathematician. <laughs> there is there is a better probability for the synths. They've got the four dim fourth dimensional god synths waiting to blow the place up if anything bad happens. And you are right. The, the organics I found, and, and this was a bit of a loaded question, the organics really suck. Like just in terms of like, not, not objectively, like I think Picard is great and all his crew is great. And I'm sure there's some wonderful Romulans out there. Um, but uh, subjectively, you're right. Starfleet is just like, Never mind, you know, and then Romulans are like, we are going to commit genocide and no one can stop us. We're bringing all of the ships. Um, so, yeah, you're you're kind of right to be like siding with a group who's like, you know, what, you know, those memes, it's like synths exist. And then it shows like organics and it's like a picture of someone freaking out. <laughs> so, yeah, you're absolutely right. Jackie Hackney is on the other side saying team organics with XBs, our little ragtag group, Fenris Rangers. Yes. And I, I would agree with Jackie. And I think you and I would agree with Jackie as well that a synthesis is going to be how this resolves. But uh, if we had to pick one side or the other, yes, um, that's a thing. So Debbie uh, was actually saying something uh, here that is good. Uh, the, now the imagery of the discovery flower has me intrigued and I hadn't thought about it either. And so you've brought this up, Amy, you've brought this upon yourself. Where do you think they're going with this flower? I brought this up. Um, <clears throat> didn't you, know, you, or maybe you didn't. No, I didn't, but oh, darn it. no Marina brought it up. Blame Marina. Yes. Well, Marina. we see that, um, Soji in the dream that she remembers, is there's all those orchids there, yeah. right? So there's something there with that. And maybe the hybrid of creating a new type of orchid is, you know, symbolism for creating this new kind of synth. Hmm. I, yeah. I'll never walk into a greenhouse the same way again. Oh my gosh, no. <laughs> no I'll look at all the orchids and I'll be like, Dodge, so do oh my gosh. <laughs> so yes, that is that is something. So 
the next little piece that I want to talk about, and it's a really upbeat, feel-good, hit-of-the-summer kind of thing, is Picard and his inevitable death. How is that making you feel, that that we are now watching the advancement of his brain-wasting disease that we caught wind of in All Good Things, and he's known of, and we've known, and now it's, like, happening? How you feeling about that? You know, we heard, what was it, episode two, or, yeah, I think it was... yeah. Episode two, where he was talking to his friend and he's like, you know, are you sure you want to go out there sort of basically in your condition? And Picard's like, most definitely I need to get out there. And it almost sort of reminds me again of all good things when Beverly's like, if Picard wants one last mission, then that's what we're going to give him. And I feel like he's trying to redeem himself with Starfleet, with his family you know, that is this new crew um, and trying to build something that's going to last even more longer than he is, you know, because yeah. you always want to have that legacy and he has a great legacy, but it sort of fell flat with the attack on Mars. So I'm thinking this is his way of creating a lasting legacy. You know, you just laced the track. I'm going to lock the flow. Because I think we've got a nice little connection here in terms of legacy. What is a legacy specifically, right? I think it's finding or seeing reflections of yourself in other pe in other people. So with Seven, what's Picard's legacy? Well, it's their Borg past, their desire to protect. It's that kind of parental nature that they have. I'm getting a real motherly vibe from Seven of Nine. I'm not, I'm not sure if you're feeling that as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, like she cares. Like there's a deep kind of like, and then obviously when um, when when Echep died, right? There was my son, right? So yeah, bro, that was heavy. <laughs> We've got Elnor, the childish sort of wonder and ability to just sort of be real. That um, that that Picard sort of has as well. Like when he gets that really cool artifact. Remember when it kind of opens up and he's like, oh, it's got all the little pieces inside, and he's like a kid in a candy shop. Um, I don't know. Again, you know if that was something you noticed with Elnor as well, that, that there's sort of an earnest, almost childlikeness to him that Picard is drawing, is drawn to. And then, uh, but I think there's differences as well though, right? Like with, uh, with seven, she is much more ready to spring into extreme violent action to get a thing done. I think Elnor can be a little more direct. Uh, Raffi is a puzzle sol solver and also a carer, but I think she's more loyal than Picard is. P people are loyal to Picard. Picard's not necessarily loyal to anyone. I don't right. know if you think, do you think that's a hit against him or is that actually something we could say? Without... No. And I think they set it up very well from the beginning where, you know, he went to Raffi and she's like, dude, I haven't even talked to you. So what are you doing here? Go away. You know, and that sort of happens like you only want some you only come to someone when you want something. And so I think that sort of sets that up like you're saying. And Elnor sort of had the same response. It's like, why do you want me? He wanted something more significant than mm -hmm. just, oh, I need you. No, there needs to be a little bit more. Yeah, it's that that circuit closing that needs to still happen. Mm -hmm. um, with Rios, I mean, Rios came off to me when we started getting his backstory. He's sort of an officer's officer, but his faith in the system was shaken long before he could flourish, right? I mean, I think Picard has had some moments where his faith in Starfleet was shaken before the synth attack, right? I mean, think of Star Trek Insurrection. Did you get any Insurrection vibes from this episode as well? 
No, I did not. No. Well, he said, he's like, I will be your advocate. I will get you on a ship and I'll get you out of here and I'll help you out and I'll advocate to Starfleet for you. And it's like, yeah. And you tried that with Anjan way back in the day. <laughs> yeah. I just, when I was seeing that, I was just like, okay, this is the definition of insanity. I mean, yeah. the fact that he still believes that is crazy after what he's seen and what he's been through and, you know, being retired Admiral because they let him go. Like, he needs to change his thinking and he's still just so set in his ways and has this idea of what Starfleet can do mm -hmm. and what he can do. I think there's still a little ego that he has with that. Yeah. He, he sort of feels like just the bills are going to get paid if Starfleet comes in on this and, and yeah, he doesn't have that, uh, unlimited supply, right? Like I think he used to get support from rep from, from Starfleet, like he got replicator tea, right? It was just there all the time. And now, yeah, nobody, it ain't. And yep. you've got to figure this out yourself. I also really like in terms of the idea of Picard's inevitable um, demise is when I think it was Saga. I can't remember if it was Arcana or Saga, but she comes up and she looks and she starts touching him and she says grief in, or she goes, they're just lines, but they imply so much more grief, endurance, marvelous. There's, I don't know. I get a bit of a Lord of the Rings vibe to this, like something kind of immortal. Like, I mean, yes, these androids can die, but they won't die as fast as an organic life form will. And I kind of got a bit of an LV vibe from them. I don't mm. know if you're, if you're much of a Lord of the Rings person or not. No, I'm not. But mm -hmm. again, I think that that set up this scene uh, with the mind meld because like Arcana yeah, she just recognizes the lines and reads so much into them in part because, as we, you know, we know synthetic life doesn't age, get sick or die. And so to have that contrast that she's seen this, which I think is interesting because they are around Alton, you know, mm -hmm. and he's right. Human. Yeah. He's, aging. Yes. Aging and has those lines as well. But so it's interesting that she just is really drawn to what she sees on Picard. Yeah. And I think there's something more again to that, that we're, we're not being told of. But I mean, at the exact same point, I think it can just be a simple moment where someone regards all of the things that, that Picard is, right? I mean, you see fragments of him being put together in the opening credits, right? Um, I think the lines also represent those fragments of him, little pieces that you can take off and, and put together, much like the inside of that Borg cube. Boy, howdy. I love the inside of that thing. Every time they show in, in internal Borg cube stuff, even from way back in the day, from like Q who I was always like, yeah. <laughs> When they had the babies in the in the violin yes. tavern. <laughs> I was hoping they'd bring that. No, I, I actually am glad they didn't bring that. <laughs> Good. <laughs> well, one last little bit here is obviously Sutra's got much more of a Sungian droid look to her. She's got the eyes. She's got the the full spray paint. Uh, again, just mad props to the actors and actresses and and those in betwixt who just were like, yep, spray me <laughs> and, and do all that. I don't know. I don't think I would ever go for being sprayed with, with that kind of paint. So I have a question about that. So Sutra and Jana are sisters. Do do you believe that they were built before Dodge and Soji? Because when I look at sort of the logicalness and the strategizing that Sutra has and the manipulating, like it seems to be more advanced than what Soji is. So yeah. I was wondering, like, is 
is Sutra the next model after Dodge mm -hmm. and Soji? Because it sort of feels like the way that she's thinking is more advanced. Yes. There are some good comments that popped up from that that I want to get to as well. But before we do, I think I know. So I'm noticing, like I saw a few of those F8 bots as well, right? The yes. F8 synths there with a slightly different hue. So I'm guessing like, I hate to put it this way, but I think each body design is like a kit. And what you can do is you like put all your own stuff inside because I Dodge and Soji were Bruce, but I think Jana and um, Sutra are actually probably Soong's, but they were made in concert with each other from the same kit, but different materials, different things that each scientist would have, right? And so I think in some respect, we are seeing cousins. And I think that because Sutra has had more time to, to like be in operation, right? Because Soji and Daj are technically only, what, like three months old or something like that? Or three years old? Yeah, it was three years old. I think in that respect, you know, as Data ran longer and longer, as his life continued, he became more perceptive. He became more smart. Lore became more crafty. Uh, even before, got a little bit more going for him, but he was a much earlier model. I think in this respect, maybe maybe Sutra is a earlier model. It's just she's been she's been running longer. I hate well, I hate to make that love to talk about life as in like running, but I can't. Yeah. yeah. Well, and when you say like the uh, Dodge and Soji were Maddox, where Sutra and Jana might have been soon, like then that brings up yeah lore because Sutra gave me a huge lore vibe. And so if that's the case, you know, Laura came from soon. So I like that. Maybe. Let's see what our friends have to say down here. Do, do, do. All right. Marina says, yes, they were. According to Shabon, Dodge and Soji are more evolved because they are basically indistinguishable from humans. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Um, let's see here. Debbie. No, she's got to be a before. Soji and Dodge, Dodge, are, the most, Dodge are the most advanced. Okay. So, and then Arend. I bet they twinned them like Data and Lore, who weren't actual twins. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, and this is the thing is twins have been a thing in the world of, of androids as well, that it mm -hmm. seems like twins are kind of the norm, um, but they represent different elements of one another. Jackie says, Dodge and Soji didn't know they were synths. I think they were the final project product. Okay. Again, this is why the commenters are here. They yes. know way more than me. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk a bit more about data and kind of how they, a lot of people I find are putting data on a bit of a pedestal and maybe, maybe that's good. Um, and then obviously a lot of painting motifs, stuff that data used to do. Um, they, but Soji mentions that he was open-minded and free of bias. I would argue that when he got his emotion chip, that was not the case. Do you think that data was always, open-minded and free of bias or do you think he had certain biases that he developed or maybe ways of expecting the way people would act i always think of data's day when he like kind of walks around in like a proto sheldon from big bang theory just like encountering people and talking to them and then like smiling scarily while he's dancing and stuff wow um <laughs> i think I do believe that he has always been open-minded and free of bias. I mm -hmm. think, however, as a mathematician, you see patterns. And mm. so then you, you 
make predictions based off of past experience. So I still think that he is free of bias. However, he is very good at making predictions based off of what he's seen. And you just articulated it perfectly that, yeah, no. And you're right. I think that's, that's it is, is he's, yeah, he, he starts, you know, kind of, um, what is the, what is the word for it? It actually comes up when they're talking about trying to find Soji when Dodge had died, because the computer computers always trying to find shortcuts to do stuff that you do more often. Extrapolate. Yeah. They, they start extrapolating. And so, yeah. So if he sees Worf drinking prune juice three times at 10 forward, then if he sees Worf walk in to 10 forward in the same pattern, in the same direction, his bias will be, he's coming for prune juice. I'll preempt and I'll hand him one and make a friend. Exactly. You know, something like that. Ah, there we go. Let's see what Debbie has to say. Data didn't remember who he was at first, but his memories of the colony were there. Oh, I didn't even think of that. Oh, yeah. That was the Tripoli. He was, um, yeah, he, when he was on the Tripoli, yeah, he didn't know. Jeez, I didn't even think of that. Chris says, open-minded open minded is constantly evolving. I would fully agree with that, is, yes. is knowing when you're wrong and knowing when to change. Well, that was wonderful. I'm going to just quickly have another quick look and make sure I didn't miss anybody's comments. There's usually little chunks that I miss from time to time. Jackie says, I think Picard wants Starfleet to be who they should be and be upholding his promise with the refugees. That was earlier when we were talking about how Picard was basically like, they're going to do what I say. I think that's the thing is hope always dies last, right? Yeah. Unfortunately, I've, I don't know. How do you like here? I've got all these Starfleet uniforms and now I'm a little like Starfleet kind of sucks right now. <laughs> it's not being put in the best of light, but I, you know, I sort of, you see that in real life with any type of government or organization bureaucracy sometimes gets in the way. And, you know, I still go back to the, you know, first or second episode where Oh, who's the admiral that swears at him? Oh, yes. I know who you're talking Clancy. about. Oh, yeah, yeah, Clancy. Clancy. Uh, you know, when Clancy's like, you know, we had pressure from everyone else saying, no, we can't help the Romulans. And we had to pull out and we couldn't help them. And we had to, you know, save Mars first. We had to, you know, sort of isolate ourselves and just let everyone else take care of themselves. But we got to take care of our own first. And so like that still is is going through and the reasons why Starfleet isn't getting involved. Yeah. And and I think there's a there's a selfishness there. I mean, they talk about fear. I think there's so many of those bits. And I mean, I don't know, Commodore O, I don't like her. I, I and and I think that's where you can see it is is a bureaucratic system like Starfleet's constant vigilance, right? That's what Picard said in the drumhead. What's what's the price of freedom? Constant vigilance. Yeah. And uh yeah, oof. Freedom when you're security. not vigilant, then, you know, spies like Commodore O get in. Yeah, exactly. Debbie made me feel better by saying, LOL, Barry, we still believe in the Starfleet. That is just. Yes, that is yes. true. And Marina has a good insight here. She says, Shaban's answer to a similar question on IG was that they were Maddox's plant. So this is about Daj and Soji with Federation and Romulans ultimately to uncover the whole synth ban Mars attack conspiracy probably wouldn't have helped if the plants knew they were since themselves. Yeah. I mean, just to be like, Oh, by the way, this is what you are and you need to go and do this thing. But I guess there's also an innocence as well, because I think if they knew and they, them being since they would find the quickest route uh, with which to do it. Um, what did you call that? Extrapolations. 
Yes. Yes. There we are. I'm learning. No school right now, but we're all learning. Are you guys? Do we you guys are at school? Uh, no, no, we're out. That's sad. Yeah. yeah, we have school, but only online right now. So. We're it's a hot mess right now. I have a conference tomorrow morning, so I'll learn more. Uh, so. Well, best of luck to you on that one. Thank you. Let's cheer ourselves up by talking about a fantastic group of folks. That is our sponsors, Trek Family at Fansets. There are many ways to express your fandom, but if you are looking for artistry, care to attention and detail, and a friendly down-to-earth customer service, you will not find it anywhere better than the people at Fansets. They have brand new Picard-style pins, and I can't wait to tell you about this. Um, there are new Picard pins coming soon. We do have the um, we have the micro pin uh, set that's going to be coming out and everything like that. Um, but there is also going to be uh, some brand new pins that are coming out right away too. And I didn't copy and paste it right, so I'm just going to hop on the thing here, uh, the script, just to make sure that I'm getting it correctly. Because Fansets, like we were saying, is going to be doing different types of um, Picard, you know, specific ones. Um, that there's going to be micro character pins um, for Gerardi, Rafi, Picard, Rios, um, and they're going to be doing episode pins as well. Uh, so that is something that is really, really great that uh, I'm really looking forward to getting. Do you do any of the, the fan set stuff from time to time? Absolutely. I go to the fan sets party every year, STLV, and pick up some at the convention every time. So I, I love them. They're such amazing quality. I love yeah. wearing them to school and just have a little Star Trek on me every day. It's actually, uh, I actually used to use it to sort of indicate to the students how my, uh, how I was feeling, uh, if I was oh. having a good day or a bad day. And uh, yeah, if they saw mirror characters, if, if Scott, if Spock with a goatee showed up or something like that, oh, they'd be like, oh, yes. he's in, he's in a bad mood. We better be nice. So absolutely. <laughs> I sort of wear mine to just coordinate with my outfits, but yeah, <laughs> they see a lot of my Troy pin and <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not a bad pin to, to show off. Troy Ross. No. Yes. And she was amazing. Holy cow. I wish I could have talked to you oh. about that. Ugh. I know she stole the show. I loved it, but I was on the Star Trek cruise during that week. So, oh, darn. Lucky devil. Yeah. That was beautiful as well. The cruise was amazing. And there's a lot of really lovely people who did a lot of really lovely things. So. Speaking of lovely folk, Lou and John are grand folk that you should be giving your business to because they're wonderful people who are doing nice things. So if you are interested in purchasing anything Star Trek, Alien, DC, Marvel, you name it, they've got a lot of stuff. Check out their website. And when you pick up the pins that you want, uh, just uh, go down to the promo code PICARDLIVE. That is all caps, P-I-C-A-R-D-L-I-V-E. And you get a 15% discount. Fansets, our pins have character. And we thank Fansets for being the presenting sponsor of the Trek Geeks Network. Well, I think we need to get on to the next segment. Are you a fan of Picard's old ship, the Stargazer? Um, sure. I'm gonna I'm gonna get Dan to pop up the Stargazer, and I want to just throw something at you. You see that picture there? Is that a Chicago deep dish pan pizza with nacelles? Or <laughs> it is absolutely that... <laughs> is. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> So with the Stargazer, what we do is we we gaze at the stars. We look into the future. Of course, though, when you look out at the stars, you're actually looking at the past uh, because that light took a really, really long time to get to us. So we like to sort of pontificate on what might be happening ahead and what might be happening in, in behind. Now, 
our illustrious, lovely commenter folks have already mentioned that the golem was specifically for Soong. My first question with the Stargazer is, is, is Picard going to die and is he going to end up in that golem? What do you think? Oh my gosh. I haven't even thought of that. No, Picard is not going to die. We have a whole nother <laughs> season coming out. We No, we're not losing Patrick Stewart right now. Hear me out. So what they're going to do is they're going to get a very um, dashing young British actor who's going to take the place of Picard. And then they're just going to have Picard voice his mouth. That's what I'm going to pitch for season two. That it's just going to oh be, gosh. you could just grate cheese on his abs and you'd be like, you know, make it so. And, you know, it's all of it's all of the wonderful things. I mean, Sir Patrick Stewart himself was was good looking when he was a kid anyway. But uh, yeah. and I think he's still a very, uh, a very good looking uh, man in his. What is he in his 70s or his 80s now? I think he's 80s now. Yeah. I, if if I look half as good as that in my eighties, right. I know I'll be doing I'll be doing a good job. Yeah. So you don't think so? You're not thinking that it'll be for uh, for Picard? You know it. I did wonder who was going to go in there, and I, I mean, the only person I came up was Alton. But I was like, why would he? It didn't seem to fit. So now that you've said that, I am going to be watching a little more closely because who else would it be for? Oh, right. It's who knows. Um, yeah. Let's see here. Picard will be a synth. Chris says that maybe potentially. Let's see here. Debbie's just said, Ugh, and I don't know what that was for. Oh, Dan is talking. I'm Dan G and I see the Hathaway. Oh, where is the Hathaway? I can't quite see it. Do you have the Hathaway behind you? Me? Yeah. No, I don't know what he sees or is. It's just Dan. We oh, ignore Dan. him all the time. What? Come on. Anyways, let's go back. Annie Munoz says, I agree with Barry. And I think that's correct. That, that she, that she, <laughs> that's always nice to see. <laughs> I don't know. I, and, and maybe, oh, let's see here. Debbie says, I bet Whoopi Goldberg isn't going to be thrilled with, uh, work to work with a Picard stand in. Yes. No, I think, uh, I think those two need to be back on screen together. They were magnetic. Let's see here. Created for the new data, but might be given to Picard. Yeah, so there we go. See, they I I preempted the commenters because I bet you they would have brought it up if I hadn't. They keep right. me very honest. Well, I don't know. We talked about Seven being the mother of the XBs uh, a little while earlier. And of course, we've had mother of other things like dragons in the background and stuff. And what happens when someone gets absolute power? And I really love how they're playing Seven's reluctance to be the leader she knows she can be. She says there, for a moment, I was connected to everything. I saw everything. And I don't know what about it is, but I will always find myself drawn to the reluctant leader. Not someone who like like pushes away the plan and doesn't want to do it, but the ones who are like, all right, let's do this, you know, and but you can tell they're 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 afraid of the power that they're gonna get. That means they're gonna treat it better. Yeah, absolutely agree. I mean, when Seven was like, you know, just didn't want to be the queen of the cube right then and just like, no, we don't want to enslave them. Like she's obviously knows firsthand what it's like and to have the voice and be one and how tempting that is. But then understanding that power of what you have, like it, it that was brilliant what she did with the, the cube. And then at that end, well, I know this was last week's episode, but you know, she was just like, 
Annika has more work to do. And it's like, oh, so she's still there, you know? So if she can manage that balance, then that would be ideal. Absolutely. And the idea that she would be able to um, lead the XBs in sort of like a anti-Borg Borg collective where, you know, they can have their autonomy still, but they can still communicate like the Borg. Like for me, that's almost like the ideal the ideal species to be able to telepathically communicate in harmony, but still have complete autonomy over myself. Mm-hmm. And then the cooperation becomes voluntary, which is great. I love it when people cooperate. Yes. <laughs> so let's see uh, what some of the commenters have said about that. Bill uh, popped in and he just basically said that, uh, yeah, this is pretty simple. He just said the golem isn't going to be given to Picard. Well, the executive producer, uh, one of the executive producers of Picard Live just said so. So you know what? That's uh, that's probably how it's going to be. Yeah. But Chris Hackney says the golem will be made to look like Stuart, replacing Patrick Stewart as a non-star starter. Yes, I don't think I don't think they were going to get a whole new actor to do these sorts of things. Picard is doing a fine or Stuart is doing a fine job himself. Let's see if there's any other uh, good ones here. So a lot of good ones. I just have to oh, pick the right one. Yeah. And. Ah, here we are. Please. Please bring back John DeLarco. Please. He was so great. And and yeah, I mean, like, if it isn't going to be, it isn't going to be. It was great to have him anyway. Yeah. But we, I agree with you. But I'd love to have, I'd love to have him back. Jackie just shouts, Hugh! <laughs> oh, and then, uh, yeah. There's also the Rafi's imagination tool. I think uh, that's great. Maybe it's going to be like a ring from the Green Lantern. That's my little shout out to Shashank. Let's see here. So the organic synth cycle. I want to ask you a question, and this is going to be some high level, uh, high level berry stuff. Okay. Oh, I also figured it out. The Hathaway and the Stargazer are the exact same ship. I forgot about that. Oh, that's why they kept okay. saying the Hathaway. I got it. Ugh. That's again, that's why the EBH is here. He's here to help me out. So hear me out. And everyone listening and watching, please hear me out. Is there actually going to be some kind of organic synth cycle that takes place? And the last big cycle change was the Organians who got wiped out by the big synth smart. So basically, the admonition says this, and I'm going to just quote it straight from, from where we got. Life begins, the dance of division and replication, imperfect, finite. Organic life evolves and yearns for perfection. That yearning leads to synthetic life. But organics perceive this perf- perfection as a threat. That's like the singularity we always talk about when AI becomes smarter than people. Back to the quote. When, we real- when they realize their creations do not age or become sick or die, they will seek to destroy them and in so doing destroy themselves. Beyond the boundaries of time and space, we stand an alliance of synthetic life. Summon us and we will come. You will have our protection. Your evolution will be the, their extinction. So I got some serious control vibes from that. I got some serious like four-dimensional beings waiting. I just don't think that's possible in the fourth dimension because you can actually just see time and space all at once. Um, so they're not really, I mean, they're telling us they're waiting, but really, how do you wait when there's no time? Um, but uh, I just... I think it's, and, and, and Soji, or not Soji, sorry, uh, Sutra says fascinating. I, I guess, yeah, I think that's it. And, and maybe we think that's appalling, but remember the dinosaurs had to die for us to be a thing, but maybe there's some sort of circle of existence etched into slow time where biological beings make synths eventually. And then the synths, you know, augment the biological life to make it grow. And 
and it's just this kind of rotating cycle. And maybe, I don't know, maybe I just think about it too much. Um, but is that something that could be plausible, do you think? Or do you think I'm way off out to lunch? And you're allowed to say I'm out to lunch. Okay. While you were speaking, I think I see a parallel storyline going on here with Picard. Because what you're saying could be applied to the Borg. Okay. Because I was thinking like, okay, so the Borg, they're trying to meld the two, like you're saying, the synthesis between organic and synth. That's what the Borg have been trying to do. And like you were saying, with that control, and can they get autonomy and still exist? And so that parallelism between the synths and human life or, you know, organic life with the Borg, where now we have... Uh, not Jerry Ryan, seven of nine, who might be that link between getting the Borg to be autonomous, but yet still linked and get that fusion between organic and synthetic life. So we've got what you're saying here with Sutra and the synths, but you're also seeing it with the Borg. Huh. So math and philosophy comes together because I was talking about the Hegelian dialectic where there is a thesis, an antithesis that leads to a synthesis. And that's the, the Hegelian dialectic that eventually these things will always outcompete each other until they find synthesis. However, if left to one sort of line of logic, eventually that logic will just unravel itself if you don't find some way to kind of figure out the, the contradictions that are blocking you. So like the Borg are perfect and they seek perfection, but in that they are imperfect in the sense that they have to go and act like parasites and take over people. Ah, yes. Okay. So yeah, you're right. I think, I think the Borg could be the, the connection with, with seven doing that with the XBs. Yeah. Mm, wow. Let's see. Cause what... we're getting this new species of Borg, the XBs. Yeah. Yeah. And and they could have that autonomy and be peaceful. Jackie Hackney says, keep in mind the beyond space and time. So the future will have something to do with this. And maybe that's a tie-in to the Discovery crew. Holy crap. What? See, this is why we have people who comment. Thank you, Jackie. Yes. I don't know what to say. <laughs> that's really cool. Like what if what if there is going to be a connection between um Discovery and Picard? I think that would be a really neat way to kind of blend these cycles and generations of Star Trek. I mean, William Shatner's probably waiting by his phone right now. <laughs> He's like, tie me in, tie me in. <laughs> well, that's a really good idea, Jackie. But I, I wouldn't have thought of that. Marina says, I thought about the Borg as well. However, technically the Borg are combining organic and cybernetic, not organic and synthetic. You're right. Hmm. But I think I think they're sort of maybe blurring those pieces because I, I feel like synthetic can still work for cybernetic. I don't know. I, I don't know those, those terminology yeah. um, as well. Kirk Schwinn says, so the Borg are the key to the synth organic piece. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe they just could be the, the key. We just oh my gosh. <laughs> okay. Who needs next week's episode? <laughs> just listen it's, to us talk. Yeah. <laughs> or the listeners. <laughs> Aren says they could be. That could be it. That's uh, that's a good point. Uh, and between the stitches, I haven't met you before. Nice to see you. To me, it sounded like a synth continuum, like the Q. I forgot yes. about the Q. I thought that when, you know, 
during the admonition and it's like, we are here, this alliance of synthetic life and waiting for your signal and we'll protect you. And I was like, they are obviously a higher level of synth and that, yeah, I thought of the Q continuum as well. I wonder if, I, I wonder if, you know, like the Q, they're an articulation of organic life going beyond the bonds of time and these whatever synth beings are some kind of synthetic life that have gone beyond the bonds of time it's wonder yeah. it's a wonder they don't interact and where the heck is the traveler in all of this i don't know i, I just <sighs> talk about talk about a misallocation of good resources he would have fixed this with his funny little hands <laughs> well i think we can move into our last uh, piece of the show i typically try to keep it about an hour but i think we're gonna go about 10 minutes over give or take because this has been a very compelling conversation amy thank you so much this is uh and then again what what people have been saying on here has been uh, has helped out quite a bit so in the uh, supplementals we just talk about the extra stuff that didn't necessarily fit into the episode maybe there's some online chatter worth mentioning so uh, amy if there's any good conversation obviously there, there must have been uh, if you were on the show um on any other of the picard episodes that you've already talked about it we'd love to hear it so okay First thing, and this is the big question, and this is for everyone to say, and this started with Sarah last week. I need to ask, are synths people? Well, what's your definition of people? <laughs> well, and that's it. Is <laughs> Exactly. Are, are they sentient? Like, they have sentience, right? Yes. And what is the definition of sentience as per uh, Little Spock in 2009 Trek? The ability to do something noteworthy and good without it being obligatory. So um, it's the ability to do good without obligation to do that good. So the other day I was scrolling through the interwebs because we're stuck in houses now and can't leave our houses. And I watched a crow in like a, like a grizzly bear enclosure in a zoo. And he's like flopping around in this pond because he's dying. He's drowning. Oh, and yeah. the grizzly bear just like casually looks over at the crow and just goes nom. And he picks him up and just splats him down and then goes off and does something else. He just pulled the crow out of the water. He didn't have to do that. It was total sentience. It was total just like, yeah, you know what? Here you go. Plop. And that was that. So in this respect, do you would you be willing, in if our society immediately tomorrow just had a person who was a synthetic life form come up and they like, hi, hello, Miss Nelson, how are you today? And they're talking and just doing whatever. Would you consider them a person or would you still sort of not be able to do that? Would you still be like, you're a synth, you're a synth, you're a synth, you're a synth in your head? You know, it's very interesting. Um, there are some Chris's out there that got me to watch uh, Battlestar Galactica and sort of the same thing with the Cylons mm. um, and sort of that. How do you treat the Cylons? And we also saw it um, like, oh, I, again, at, early on episode one or two with the F8s and like how mm -hmm. they were being treated. Um, you know, some treated them with respect and some were just like, oh, it's a toaster. Um, sorry, ESG. <laughs> Aren said uh, Team Cylon as well a lot earlier in the conversation. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a good point. <laughs> so I would like to be open-minded and in part having all this training, watching Star Trek of being accepting of new life and new civilizations. So I would believe that I would treat them as people, that they have sentience, that they can do good without obligation. Yeah, absolutely. And as Debbie very aptly mentions, that was ruled in measure of a man. Mm -hmm. So therefore, 
And I'm going to go with, do you think Soji's reasons for picking either side with her new family or Picard and crew? Um, notice how everyone was standing except for her. In the world of filming and art and all of that sort of stuff and drama and, and something, that shows a divide between her opinion and the opinion of everybody else. So I think Soji has something very, very different in mind. And I think with that, talking about sentience and about them being people, I think that in and of itself kind of explains it. I often wonder, what should we do with synthetic life forms? And for me, I ask just like, should we not just treat them like children? Care for them until their positronic brains have matured enough, kind of like data. And sometimes they rebel like Lore. Sometimes they have crises like Soji. And sometimes they die like Dodge. And I think like they, like our children... And as you know, as we, you know, you and I are teachers, we've seen the gamut of types of autonomous beings that can enter our classrooms. Oh, yes. <laughs> we all must be guided until they reach a certain age of maturity. It's always fun coming seeing students who come back because I'm getting that old too. And they're like, you know, that advice you gave me, I really should have taken it. And you're like, ha, 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 you made my life so miserable, but I'm so happy you're doing well. And you genuinely yeah. feel that. You're like, I'm so mm -hmm. glad you're succeeding. So I don't know. Do you think that we could maybe, if if sentient life started existing in synthetic form, we could sort of treat it like a child growing up? Or do you think we need to look at it differently? No, I think you're right. Because as Data was guided and learned from the crew, the Enterprise D, like that's his search for humanity was truly guided by them. And mm -hmm. that obviously is now we're seeing this in the future of who these synths are and and what have you. And, and so I really like how uh, Soji through the whole episode is just grappling with the idea of what does it mean to take a life to save a life? Mm -hmm. And we, we see that through the whole episode and those philosophical debates are so important and who you're being surrounded by is going to influence your final decision. I mean, had she been around Sutra, had she been around Picard, right? Mm -hmm. Troy and um, Riker, mm -hmm. you know, and she got that family experience that she never had before. So yeah. all of these things are going to influence her. And yeah, the fact that she, I felt sort of succumbed to peer pressure and said, yeah, lock up Picard. Like she turned her back, but is she, is that a permanent turning on her back? Yeah, I think she's up to something. And I think, yeah, she is, she's kind of getting a crash course in how to people and everything yes. like that, because she's literally just been shaken completely out of her, out of this sort of mode that she was pretty sure she was in. And I, I, I commend her resiliency in that respect. I would probably be just balled up in a, in a corner somewhere and that would be it. So thanks to the positronic brain on that one. Yeah. But yeah, I think, I think you, you, you touch on, on a lot that I'm going to try to try to kind of boil down in the sense that our material surroundings and the people who occupy those surroundings make us who we are more than sometimes I think we would care to admit. Is that somewhere kind of in that, that, that with, with Soji's development? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and we even see like when she wanted to kill Narek's ship and Picard's like, whoa, now there's a difference between, you know, striking someone who's attacking you versus a wounded 
you know, you don't kick mm -hmm. someone when you're, when they're down. So again, just sort of all along this episode, this idea and Soji's learning from different people in her environment. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's a, there's like a dialectical conversation, like a, in, they're just constantly trying to out argue each other, the concept of logic versus just brutality, right? Just, yeah. I mean, the, the, the quickest way is through kind of thing. And the, compassion fear element that that we see on the organic side where they're dealing like picard is compassionate the romulans are fearful whereas you know lore and when those synths attacked right there's a brutal thing to them whereas like with you look at data and some of what soji has said there's a logic and mm -hmm. and maybe there's like this maybe that's the conflict maybe that's the balance that they need to 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 uh, to strike um i'm just gonna go here Jackie says the movie AI shows how dark we as human beings can go and how we treat what we create. I think Westworld does that quite a bit too. Oh uh, yes. Oh. Boy, oh boy. That's dark. <laughs> uh, and then uh, Chris says, uh, Chris Mumphrey says, take a life to save a life. The good of the many outweighs the needs of the few. These are the common themes in my opinion. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, where do we, where do we draw the line? Where is the line? I mean, Picard has said yeah. in the past, the line is here. And uh, that's important. Humans suck, according to Kurt Schwinn. Sometimes we do. Sometimes <laughs> we do. Let's get on to our next uh, piece here. Uh, Black Star. And this is the last dark thing I'll tell you. Now, David Bowie is one of my favorite musicians of all time. And I don't know if you're too familiar with this stuff, but most people, if I say David Bowie, will know who he is. At the very least, he's an artist from the 70s kind of weird um esoteric in a lot of ways hard to hard to grasp all of his music and he went through a lot of uh, iterations he did space oddity you know uh, ground control to major tom that kind of guy um well in his last album called black star he sings a lot about life and about his life and about everything about his life and then he died almost immediately after he released the album or shortly before and then listening to the album again you realize he was actually telling you something he was telling you he was dying. He was telling you he was going. And he was using art to do it. And again, I don't know if this is Sir Pat saying this. I think Sir Pat is fine and healthy and there is nothing. And I don't want to elicit any kind of rumor mill here. But Et in Arcadia Ego is about the first piece of artwork. There was a painting that was done uh, in the 1600s of a Greek, sort of a Greek-looking beautiful landscape, which obviously uh, Capelius reminds me of Greece in a lot of ways. It's kind of got that Greek sort of look to it. And it's about how the first piece of art was somebody's shadow on a, on a piece of uh, like rock with a skull on it. And the guy traces out his outline and the date and what's said at an Arcadia ago. And that's considered the first piece of art. Now there's a lot of painting and art that comes from data painting Soji and everything like that. And maybe data part of his life is expressed in that art. So continuing the artist's shadow was the first piece of art and art is a way for us to interact with our own mortality, the same as cave paintings and stuff, right? Those people are long dead, but, their art remains and we can interact with it and long after we're gone that art will remain and so it's about making impressions right art is ultimately about making impressions i mean like long after and god willing it won't be anytime soon but long after sir patrick patrick stewart leaves us just like all of the other star trek actors who have left us they don't leave our hearts their art remains and their art is their key to immortality 
And so I wonder if some case in some case this like I hate to say it, but Picard almost must die for this whole series to finally end. And I think when you see in et in Arcadia ego, the Latin statement of here in Arcadia, uh, something I can't remember it. I wonder it's, if oh, oh, I have it. Go ahead. It says even in Arcadia, there am I. Ah, and that's death saying that. Yes. So I wonder, and this is the last little supplemental kind of brain wee wee sort of thing that I've got going on in my head. Is that the is that what's happening? Have I convinced you that Picard must die? You might say that art is one's legacy, which we talked at the top of the show. Yeah. Look sort at that. Closing circling that around. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's it's very interesting, and I love how you are explaining that because um, when I sort of looked up this and <clears throat> and found the translation and sort of the interpretation, like Arcadia is a uh, landlocked city. It's not on the coast. And mm -hmm. so this city uh, is symbol for this uh, utopia, this pure and rural, idyllic, life that they live. And then you have their MI, which is the shadow of death, right? And mm -hmm. so it fits this episode so well, because uh, Capellius is this ideal city, you know, the sense living in harmony, you know, and when they're walking in, it's just, you know, and Rios kicks the ball around and yeah. everyone's happy and, you know, being their best selves, like you get that you get this idyllic utopia life. But then Coppelius is going to be this shadow of death for humanity. And so to have that and yeah, this artwork and, and leaving a legacy, is this going to be the legacy of the since? Huh. You know? So next season, this will be hosted by Amy Nelson because <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's exactly it. The, yeah. You, you've, you've turned it. Cause I thought it was more to do with Picard, but, no, this could have to do with the idea that death is literally looming in this exact place. And it yeah. is, it's Megiddo, right? It's the idea that in biblical, uh, in, in Revelation, it is said that the Armageddon will take place at a battlefield called Megiddo. Mm. And, and I think in that respect, you know, you see it as this like looming, terrifying place. And I mean, obviously we're on two different parts of the Mediterranean, Arcadia and Megiddo, but, um, that sort of apocalyptic feel that we get. And I thought it maybe was the sense being weird, but also, no, you're right. Death looms in this utopia. Death looms right. in this perfect place. Yeah. Wow. And it's, and it's like existential. Everything dies death. Like that's it. Crazy. Yeah. Let's see if Jackie's, she says here, maybe the bringer of death is Soji, but I, but to the synths and not to the organics. And that was what was misunderstood from the vision. Hmm. I, I mm. really hope, and, and I love Soji saying this, where she's like, I just don't want people to die. And I think, yeah. I, I feel like that's how we all feel. <laughs> just like, do do people have to die for this, really? Um, and maybe that's the that's the fear. And, and we go back to what Chris said earlier, where sometimes taking life to save life is what one, one must do. I mean, anybody ever weed a garden, right? Like, you know, you're committing a massacre on dandelions and thistles and or Black even grass. pruning a tree, you know, yeah. you, you have to prune in order to flourish and get your crops. Yeah. It's a, it's a matter of stewardship. I mean, the amount of bacteria in us outnumbers the amount of cells we have, and they make choices about our bodies and our behavior sometimes in ways that we wouldn't even be able to understand. So I wonder that's, uh, hmm. we've left on a very like 
I feel like I should be sipping tea with my pinky up. This is this has been so much fun. I've really yeah, enjoyed this been... conversation, and I hope you have too, Amy. It's been Absolutely. it's been a while. Thank I think you. Last we saw each other, I think was at STLV. That's and, right, and it was, and it was a uh, it was quite the time. Not not as not as uh, crazy as the time before for me, but uh, it was it. It's always heartwarming getting to see everyone again, and uh, it is. Yeah, I don't know if you've heard anything about. Like obviously STLV might get postponed, but I remember actually the timing of STLV this coming year was really bad for you, Clark County teachers. Yes, it's. I'm still frustrated by it. Um, I've spoken to my principal, and I'm navigating through which days I can show up. And if you need you a know. character reference, I am here. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we can, uh, we can call it here. Uh, this has been a fantastic uh, episode. I love the comments, love the conversation. Um, so if uh, you'd, you know, in the meantime, uh, before we, uh, sorry, I'm going to redo that and it's live television. So it's just a take that's going to have to happen. So next week on Picard live, we'll consider the first season, uh, the first season finale of Star Trek Picard at in Arcadia ego part two. Uh, in the meantime, if uh, you are looking for more Star Trek discussion, you can check out the other podcasts on the Trek Geeks Network found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or even the TrekGeeks.com. Latest Trek Geeks is loads of fun as well, so check out Dan and Bill's pontifications on everything. Sorry, Chris, for using all the big words on you there. Chris Trebuzio was upset with me saying saying pontificate. So the next time you meet up with them, Amy, make sure you say pontificate at least twice. Oh, I will. Absolutely. <laughs> and if you can't attend the live stream every week, fret not, you can always download the audio version uh, the next day. Just search Trek Geeks Picard live on your favorite um, favorite podcast platform. And we always love Five Year Mission for uh, giving us the lovely music that you hear. And Amy, where can we find you on oh. the on the interwebs and on the podcast land you are, are a prolific podcaster and <laughs> and as i've said before a cornerstone of the podcasting community of star trek oh thank you well i am on trek fm hosting earl gray which is specifically about the next generation i am over on united federation of podcasts where i host all good things where mm. we talk about all star trek things so far, only Picard, but we're hoping to talk more things. <laughs> Those are good um, things. I'm a, yeah, I know. It's it's amazing that we have new stuff to be talking about and will for a long time. So I'm very happy about that. I am on Twitter where you can follow me at Miss Amy Nelson. And I'm in Camp Kittimer too. Yeah. You're, yeah you can find definitely. me there. Yeah. Fantastic. You're there more than I am, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> Well, that is wonderful. Well, everyone, thank you so much for another fantastic conversation. Um, yes, uh, Chris uh, says Amy has a podcast. Stop it. Do not <laughs> encourage those Chris's. No. And uh, the other Chris says it's funny. <laughs> Anyways, thank you everyone for, for coming on the show. It has been a unique pleasure to uh, con converse once again with you. And I look forward to one and maybe a follow-up uh, podcast episode after all this is done. So with that, we say... Good night and live long and prosper. Mm -hmm.